1 Timothy chapter 4. And we're going to read the first two verses. 1 Timothy chapter 4. And 1 and 2. Amen. So once you turn there in your Bibles, 1 Timothy chapter 4. Then if you would all stand with me, then we'll read the Word of God together. So it's 1 Timothy chapter 4. And we're going to read verses 1 and 2. Once you're there, if you would stand with me this morning, and we'll all audibly read the Word of God together. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Praise the Lord. Let's, let's read together. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly, that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Let us pray. Father, this morning we ask for your help, for your anointing to speak. Lord, we pray, O God, that you would impregnate your heart, Lord, into each of us this morning. Reveal to us, Lord, what you're saying to the church. Lord, give us ears. We pray every week, but Lord, we mean it sincerely. Unstop our deafened ears, Lord, and let us hear that voice, that still small voice of the Savior speak into our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would melt hearts in this room this morning that are hardened by sin and rebellion. Lord, I pray with your great love and your mercy that you would come. Lord, that you would melt the hardest of heart and you would draw by your Spirit to that old place called Calvary. Oh, Father, this morning we pray, Lord, help us to preach your word. Oh, God, I pray, Lord, for your help this morning. Lord, for your spirit to descend and for your anointing to be upon every word that is spoken. Lord, let not one word come from this mouth that is from me, but let it be unctioned by the Spirit of God. Lord, would you speak into our hearts? Oh God, I pray, Lord, awaken your church and your bride at this time, Lord. Lord, forgive us for our sin, for our slumber, for our hypocrisy, O oh God. Forgive us, O oh God. We pray, Lord, would you do a work and sanctify your people, Lord, afresh by the power of your Spirit. And Lord, would you equip us, O oh God, to go out, Lord, into this dying world, Lord, for a harvest of precious souls in these last moments of time. Oh, Father, this morning, Lord, we pray, give help. And Lord, we be careful to give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's take our seats together this morning. I'm going to continue on from last week, the spirit of Manasseh in Ireland. And I'm going to be looking at Manasseh and the consequences of the sin of Manasseh uh, that we can parallel. There's a parallel for us today in the world in which we're living and the fruit of the sins that are being committed in our nation by our leaders, the legislation, the laws, and so forth. But the, the fruit that will come from the sins uh, that are being committed at this time, it should break our hearts. And uh, we should be a people that are on our knees. We should be seeking the Lord. We should be weeping between the porch and the altar at the condition of our nation and also the condition of the church of which we are all a part, regardless of the denomination or the name or the title, if we're saved and we're born of the Spirit of God, then we're a part of the Bride of Christ, and we have a heart for the church. Here the Spirit of God is distinctly speaking concerning the latter times, that there will be a departure, there will be a departure from the faith. That departure takes place because 
there are seducing spirits. And I just want you to try, if you can, this morning, regardless of whether you're saved or you're not saved, but if you can, just give your attention to the Word, just to take that time this morning to give attention to the Word of God. The Word of God is, uh, is powerful. It is living. It has an effect. It, it will have an effect on your life if you open your heart and you're willing to receive. And I, I want to encourage you some things are going to come across, I suppose, as seeming harsh or, or hard. Uh, that is certainly not the heart that it's given with. I believe the heart of God is, is always a loving heart with mercy. But we also have to face the reality that he's a God that is holy, that he is just, and that he is righteous. And so there's some things that I'll share today that I believe are going to be difficult for us to understand. But I, I just encourage you, take the Bible, go home, you read the verses, you, you, you read it out for yourself, you study the Word of God, see if these things be true that we are going to share this morning. We see that there will be a seductive spirit that will come to the faith, to those that are in the faith, seducing spirits that will actually come. We know what's working in the world. It's an antichrist spirit. But what will happen in the church, there will be doctrines of devils seducing spirits that will come to those of the faith. And that seducing spirit will come to cause men and women to depart from the old past or the ancient landmarks or the narrow way. The Bible calls them, the Spirit of God calls them doctrines of devils that will actually come into the church of Jesus Christ. And they'll speak lies. And there'll be hypocrisy in the church of Jesus Christ. There'll be a form of godliness, but they'll deny the power, the living power of Jesus Christ. Their conscience will be seared with a hot iron. And these are serious matters, but they're important things because it concerns the latter times. That's the times that you and I are living in. So I believe the message is so relevant. It's so important that we hear what God is saying. Last week we looked at Manasseh, probably the most wicked king in Israel or certainly in the southern kingdom of Judah. We know those two kingdoms, the southern kingdom where Jerusalem was, Judah, in the northern kingdom, Israel, and Manasseh was a king. His father was Hezekiah, who's seen a great revival, a great reformation. And we looked at Manasseh. He was 12 years old when he began to reign. And that was in the period of time that Hezekiah had fallen ill. He was told that he would die, but he pleaded with the Lord that the Lord would spare his life. And God wonderfully and graciously healed him and gave him 15 years. Sadly, in that time, Hezekiah, and this is a caution to all of us, a warning to us all, he opened the door to the king of Babylon. Some form of pride entered his heart where he would bring in the king of Babylon and showed, showed the king of Babylon all the treasures of the house. And so in that compromise, in that period of time, Manasseh is born. And Manasseh done more wickedly than anyone else. He was like his... He was like Ahab and Jezebel, who was of the northern kingdom. But they, uh, we know the story concerning them, but Jezebel had 400 prophets of the groves. You remember then that uh, Manasseh brought in to the temple of the Lord a grove right into the house of God. We looked at that, what it meant. There was a, a worship to the goddess Asher, and she, she was the goddess to bring happiness and pleasure. 
And so right into the midst of the house of God, there was a, it was an abomination to the Lord that they brought into the house of God another God, a goddess. The mother of gods, she was called her the queen of heaven. And so in that time, we see that Manasseh done wickedly. The physical structures that he raised up, the pagan gods, altars to Baal, the worship the host of heaven, that's Sabiaism. That's in other words, in the modern terms, we looked at what that has an effect on us. They looked at the stars, they read the stars. And that's what the world they're living in. And sadly, even this has come into the church today that rather than believing in the purposes and the plan of God for your life and the Word of God and seeking Him and living for Him alone, people are searching through newspapers to see what the stars say concerning their life. That's demonic. And there needs to be repentance of these things, but they have swept in to the church of Jesus Christ. And we looked at the parallels, not to go too much into preaching last week's message again, but we looked at the parallels of Manasseh and the sins of Manasseh and the effect of what they had in society. And what we are witnessing today, we see the spirit of Manasseh has been unleashed across this island. We also know that he was one that sacrificed children. He shed innocent blood very much till he filled Jerusalem from one end to the other. In other words, we're living in a day where our health minister and our executive are attempting to bring in legislation for abortion right across this island. They're going to fill the blood of this nation, fill the, this nation with the blood of the innocent. And this is serious days in which we're living in. And so they observed times. They were involved in all manners of, of magic and and familiar spirits and charms and spells. And we have seen a complete influx from pagan worlds, from Eastern religions that have infiltrated most of our society. They've infiltrated our school system. And some had sent me some information as they've seen it. They've infiltrated our National Health Service. Mindfulness, it is from the pit. It is Buddhism. It is demonic. And it comes in the guise of educating our children, but actually it's from the pit of hell. And it comes into our, our, our health system and people go to areas of reflection that they build. Little areas where you can go and reflect, reflect on what. And so believers have to be very clear we're not part of that world. That's not our life. That is not our hope. Our hope is in Jesus. And they set this graven image to grove right into the very house of the Lord. And that was important because this grove was the grove that would bring peace and prosperity and happiness. In other words, in the modern terms, there is a false gospel that is proclaimed in the house of God. It's happiness and peace and all is well. There's no repentance. There's no preaching about sin. There's no heaven. There's no hell. It's just live your life. Add Jesus to it. It's a form of Hinduism. And they say the right words. They'll have a Bible. It'll be a denomination. There'll be a preacher. They'll sing lovely songs. They'll have all the setup, but they're not preaching the cross. And to them, the parish is foolishness. But to us that are saved, it's the power of God. What's going to change a life? It's the cross. That's what changes a life. The power of the cross of Jesus Christ. But they've erected a grove into the house of God. And it's not preaching the cross. It's preaching peace and well. And everything is going to be fine. They're actually more afraid of the system 
They're more afraid of what is happening around us. And friends, if, if you believe that COVID is, is the last of it, it's only the beginning of it. The Bible says there's pestilences, there's plagues in the last days that are going to come. So we need to be very sure that our hope is in Jesus. That we have an anchor that keeps us soul both sure and steadfast. Let the storms come. Let the winds blow. Let the rains come. But thank God we are overcomers in Jesus Christ. You put your faith and your trust in the things that the world are presenting to us. Friends, you're going to be disappointed. But if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, praise the Lord, you'll never be disappointed. But it's the fruit of Manasseh's sin that I want to bring to you this morning. The fruit of the sin of the nation because these laws that are being enacted and the spirits that are being worked and brought in and sweeping into the church doctrines of devils and seducing spirits, there's going to be fruit from that. There's going to be fruit from the laws that they're bringing in. There's going to be fruit for our nation. And we're going to have to live in that. We're going to have to walk through this as a Christian with light and with salt and with our hope and with a message and with a love for a lost and a dying world. But we're going to have to know how to stand in the last days. The Bible tells us that righteousness exalts the nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. The prophets of the groves were men who would prophesy to satisfy the hearers. I want to bring you a message that's really going to, really going to tickle your ear. You're going to really enjoy it. It's going to make you feel good about yourself. You're going to, it's a psychological gospel. That, that, that everything's going to be fine. All is well. You do not need to worry about anything. Everything is fine. You just live your life whatever way you want to please because God's grace covers all of that. And they take the great doctrines of the Scripture like the doctrine of grace and they distort the doctrine of grace. In order that you don't have to live a life for Jesus, your lifestyle, it doesn't matter. There is no cross. It's just give your life to Jesus and you're saved. But that's not the Bible and that's not the gospel. And so we have a different gospel. In Jude verse 4, the Bible warns us of these days, tells us what will happen. There will be certain men that will creep in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. Ungodly men, what will they do? What will these ungodly men do? They will turn the grace of our God, the most precious, one of the most precious doctrines of Scripture, the grace of God. Are you thankful for the grace of God? The amazing grace of God. But what they will do is they will turn the grace of God into lasciviousness, denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Now they'll not say we deny Jesus, but by changing the doctrine, they're denying him. Do you understand what I'm saying? By changing the doctrine of grace, they're actually denying the Lord Jesus Christ. They turn it into lasciviousness. That's a, a, a great King James word, but it simply means that there will be no moral restraint. In other words, you can live whatever way you want. There is no requirement of you to live a life that pleases God. So the restraint will be lifted under the banner of grace. And friends, I want to tell you this morning, I know I'm probably up against the stream with where everything is at, but that is what has happened in the church. That is what has taken place in the church of Jesus Christ. There has been a turn, and it's a tragic turn. 
It breaks our hearts. It's not something that we stand and, and, and delight in. It's something that we're pained with. Because we know what the joy is. The knowing sins forgiving and living by the cross. And the victory that it brings in a life. But this life that is offered. Where grace covers all to live any way you want. You still live in defeat. You might come to church. You might go through the motions of all, all, the, all the apparatus that we have in church. But you go and you still live in a sin. And still live in addiction. And still live in a place of depression. The cross of Christ sets us free. It's the deception of the devil. It's doctrines of the devils. It's seducing spirits. Modern grace simply says you can live according to what way you want to live and your own desires. But biblical grace says in Titus 2 and 11, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, godly in the present world. That's the grace of God. That's the biblical definition of grace. Modern grace says that you do not need to repent. I've heard this preached from pulpits by men that are well known. That there's no repentance needed anymore. Thank God for the precious gift of repentance. It's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. But there's not a message. It's a doctrine. Listen, it's a seductive doctrine. It's a doctrine of the devil that you don't need to repent my God, help us. Help us to hear. Help us to discern the spirit that is at work. The prophets of the groves will preach the message of, listen, and they'll quote part of a scripture. And the scripture's true, but they don't preach the whole. Be careful with just pulling out one part of a verse. Make sure you put the whole thing together. But they'll say, and we're thankful for this, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Are you thankful for the grace of God? Where sin abounded, when my life was filled with shame and confusion and, and sin and wickedness and every manner of wickedness that was in this heart, the grace of God came. But just a few verses down in Romans chapter 6 then in the opening of the chapter after this great verse, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? In other words, we need the cross. I die to myself that I might live in Jesus Christ and an overcoming life. But you see, we leave it hanging that you can continue. Friends, there's a cross and there's a death to self. And it's old language, but it's ever new in God. And so we see it all around us today. We see it not just in the, in the pew, friends. It's, it's a tragedy. We see it in the pulpit. Listen carefully. We see it in the pulpit. We see the hypocrisy that takes place in the pulpit from preachers. Preachers that are divorcing their wives and they're living with another man's wife and they just carry on preaching. I want to tell you, friends, that is not the grace of God. That is a deceiving spirit. That is a doctrine of devil. And that's leading whole congregations astray. So we see that Jesus teaches very simply. 
when he said to those fishermen on the shores of Galilee, follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men. What did they do? And straightway they left their nets and they followed him. Modern grace says keep your net. Keep your sin. Keep your addiction. But the power of the cross sets us free and the grace of God enables us to live a life that overcomes our sin. The distortion of the hour in which we're living is frightening. Just the old, simple, fashioned gospel where there's a cross and there's repentance and there's a life lived for Jesus has been swallowed up with psychology, with smooth talkers and great communicators and great orders and they look the part and they look well and the stage is set and everything feels right. It's so soulish. And it's attracting, it's attracting people in their droves. But I want to tell you something, friends. It will have to keep on trying to produce something to keep them. But if you come to the cross, the cross is enough. It will keep you through everything. That's the attraction. That's the wonder. The glory and the wonder of the cross. So the message this morning is simply this. God's last words before judgment. God's last words before judgment. The final things that God would say to a world that's facing judgment. Judgment is coming and it's coming soon. The last words are always important words. The final message to Sodom. The final message to Noah's generation. What was the message? When judgment was about to come, what did these preachers preach? Did they preach and discern it this morning? Did they preach the message that we're hearing today? Did they preach the light-hearted, easy believism, greasy grace? Is that what the message was when judgment was imminent? The Bible tells us in 2 Peter 2 and 5, that God spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person. And then he tells us what type of preacher he was. He was a preacher of, anyone know? Righteousness. He was a man that preached righteousness. He was an old holiness preacher, not in the denominational sense, but he preached that judgment was coming. He preached that the end was near. He preached that the only way that you could be saved is through the door. And you must get through that door and that door is Jesus. And you must be in the ark because there's judgment that's coming. It's a different message that's being preached today. Not everywhere, but certainly many places. What about Lot? In Genesis 19, what's the last words of Lot and Sodom? And this world is becoming more like Sodom every day. But what was his last words? What did he preach? What did he say in Sodom? What's the last words of this, this righteous preacher, this man that was vexed with the sin that was around him? In Genesis 19 and verse 14, it says that Lot went down and spake unto his sons-in-law, which were married to his daughters. And do you know what he preached? Do you know what he said? He said, get out of here. Get out of this place. For the Lord's going to destroy the city. But they, were, they thought that he was mocking. He was joking. They thought it was a laugh. That's the world we're in. Keep it lighthearted. 
don't speak the truth. But here's a man standing pleading with his son-in-laws. You need to get out of here because judgment's coming. It's a different message that we're hearing today, but yet the great judgment is coming. Here's men that pleaded. Let me ask you the question. The, the message that Jesus said the Holy Ghost would bring was this, John 16 and verse 8. When He has come, that's the Holy Spirit, He will convict the world of sin and righteousness and of judgment. That's the message of the Holy Ghost. Now I want you to discern, is that the message that's being proclaimed? Is that the message that we're hearing? Why is the message of the Holy Ghost so different to the message that's being proclaimed on many of our pulpits? What is the message from God in a time when the nation has turned her back on the Lord? What should the preachers be proclaiming? What should the trumpet be sounding? What should we be hearing in such an hour? Well, we know from the context of Scripture and in the chronological order of the kings and then the prophets, we know that God in His mercy sent prophets, men of God. There were many prophets, but there was only a few that were impregnated with the heart of God. And when you look at the, at the dates and the times, what you find is that the man that was sent at this time and other men that came after him was a man called Sephaniah. And so when we're going to see the fruit of the sins that have been committed in our nation and the life that we're going to have to live, if the Lord tarries, we say this, then we have to understand what's the message that we're bringing. Well, if you go back to Sephaniah for a moment, Sephaniah chapter 1, just remember this was at the point of impending judgment, and I want you to follow uh, this book with me. This morning, Sephaniah, you go to Zechariah and then work back. It's easier to find. Zechariah, then work back. And then you'll come to Sephaniah. Sephaniah was like, in some ways, the forerunner just immediately after the death of Manasseh. I'm going to come back to Manasseh next week, but just this morning, God's final words before judgment. Sephaniah, here he comes. His name means the Lord hides. And he's coming with the word of the Lord. Two other prophets that would follow him quickly in his life was Jeremiah and also Ezekiel. And they would come with the word of the Lord at a time of impending judgment because of the sins of Manasseh and the fruit that was in the land. We open up in chapter 1 and we see, I'm going to work through some of this, but we open up, we find out a little bit of his heritage. He was the great-great-grandson of Hezekiah. In other words, he had a privileged position with royalty, but that never persuaded him from preaching the truth. Tragedy is that some become affluent or have privilege, and then their message change. May we never change our message, regardless if there's hundreds or there's one. Rather be a Noah with eight in the ark. Friends, I'd rather be a Noah with eight in the ark than eight hundred half-baked People that don't know whether they're saved or not saved. Lord, may we never be persuaded by the praise of men or the applause of men. May we never be moved by the, 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 the things. You know, I love our kids in our church. I'll just be honest with you. I'm not going to mention any names. 
But you know, someone was saying, oh, it was a really great message. That was wonderful. And there was a child in our church just whispered in my ear, thank God that they said it. It says, you speak nonsense up there. You see, never be persuaded because people will praise you, but they'll be gone. Never be moved by the applause of men. And children, keep your feet right on the ground. That might sound rude, but it wasn't. The child was just saying from their heart, they couldn't understand what was being said. Sephaniah comes with a message. Now you discern, is this the message that we're hearing before judgment? Sephaniah 1 and verse 2. God says, I will utterly consume all things off the land, saith the Lord. You think of the prophets of the groves. You think of the preachers that were saying all is well. You think of them telling all the people of Israel, everything is fine, peace, prosperity. God's not going to destroy everything. And then walks Sephaniah. Sephaniah just says, this is his opening line. God says, I'll utterly consume everything off the land, saith the Lord. What do you think the reaction was to Sephaniah? What do you think the reaction was to these prophets like Jeremiah? What did they do with them? They put them in the slot. They put them in the prison house. There's no time for them. It didn't fit the context of where everyone was. The great surprise to many in the age of the prophets of the Lord as they brought a message that was contrary to the people's prophets. I call them the people's prophets because that's what they are. People run around seeking a word and looking for a fresh word or, or something to tickle their ears or make them feel good. They're the people's prophets and they'll tell you what you want to hear. They'll say the things that you want to hear. But the message that comes from the heart of God is a different message to the context of the age and the time. Do you know Jeremiah, just then Sephaniah, but Jeremiah who was a contemporary and also Ezekiel. Jeremiah comes to the Lord. He's been preaching his message and he says, Lord, the prophets are saying unto them, this is what he said in Jeremiah 14, 13 for reference, the prophets are saying, you shall not see the sword, neither shall you have famine, but I, I will give you assured peace in this place. So the prophets are preaching completely contrary to what Jeremiah is bringing from the Lord. They're saying there's no judgment, there's no sword, none of it is relevant in this hour. Listen, there's peace. The Bible says when you hear peace, peace, that you're to be aware. He said, and then the Lord said unto Jeremiah, the prophets prophesy lies in my name. I did not send them, neither have I commanded them, neither speak unto them. Now listen carefully to what the Lord said to Jeremiah. They prophesy unto you a false vision and divination. That is witchcraft and a thing of naught and deceit is in their heart. I want you to listen to me. I know it's serious. I know it's heavy. But I want you to listen carefully. They prophesy a false vision. So the Bible says where there's no vision, what happens? The people perish. But you know what's worse than no vision? A false vision. Why is it worse? Because it's deceiving. And Jesus has warned us in the last days, be not 
deceived. And so the prophets will prophesy a false vision. The Lord is saying, I did not send them. They're speaking in my name, but I did not send them. They are not from me. It is not my word. They are prophesying a false vision. In the last days, the Spirit speaketh expressly that there will be seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. There is witchcraft. Listen carefully. I know it's strong, but it's true. There is witchcraft that is influencing preachers on the platform. It is a spiritual battle that we're in. It is not just that they've gone off a little. It is simply that there is the spirit of the age that is influencing these men. It is witchcraft in the platform, in the pulpit. And they'll speak a false prophecy. They'll say all is well, all is peace, everything is fine. There is no judgment. Just live your life according to the way you want to live it. Enjoy the pleasures of this life. It is contrary to God's word. And they'll have a false vision that will deceive congregations, that will deceive some of the great. Take heed, the Bible says, that you be not deceived. We're to be warned. We're to be sober. But we see it. We discern it. We hear it. We watch it. And it's shocking. Some very notable individuals are already preaching this stuff. There is an influence that's come. And friends, I want to tell you what it is. I know that some may not agree, but I want to tell you from the heart of God, it is absolutely demonic and it's from the pit of hell. Ezekiel 13, he said, the word of the Lord came to me. In verse 1, he said, Son of man, prophesy. This is what he said. Son of man, this is what the Lord said to him. Prophesy against the prophets that of Israel that prophesy and say thou unto them that prophesy out of their own hearts. They're prophesying what they think, what they feel. They're getting a message of sermon.com or wherever else to go. They're reading books to try and get a message or they're online and they're, and they're filling their head. They don't get on their knees. They don't seek God for a message. And congregations are being deceived with a false vision and a false teaching and false messages. Hear ye the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God, Woe to the foolish prophets that follow their own spirit and have seen nothing. They haven't seen anything. But these are the men and the women that are being elevated up in the church of Jesus Christ today as examples to follow and great messages. Great messages. And friends, I love to hear a good message from the Lord and be challenged in my own heart. And Lord, speak to me and God to deal with me and God to try me and God to probe me. But friends, most of what I'm hearing today is everything about feeling good within about three minutes. I sense the spirit of it. Discern the spirit. It's not judgmental. It's testing the spirit. You sense it. There's no cross here. There's no weightiness. There's no anointing. It's very polished. They've got all the things right. They've seen their PR people and they've got everything in place. And they want to present something in a very real way, but it has no impact. 
But you know what the tragedy is? A lot of people love to hear it like that. Why? Because it satisfies and suits their lifestyle. Zephaniah 1, he continues. And he says, In them, verse 6, In them that are turned back from the Lord, those that have not sought the Lord, nor inquired of Him, hold thy peace at the presence of the Lord. This is what Zephaniah says. For the day of the Lord is at hand. For the day of the Lord has prepared, for the Lord has prepared a sacrifice. And He's bid His guests. And it shall come to pass in the day of the Lord's sacrifice that I will punish the princes and the king's children and all such that are clothed with strange apparel. He's speaking of a day that comes. This is actually parallel to Revelation chapter 19. He's speaking of a great sacrifice. What is this sacrifice? It's not the marriage supper of the Lamb. He's speaking of a day when God will bring judgment upon the earth and a spoil will be very great. He's speaking of a day when as the spoil is scattered across the earth like the fowls of the air will come and, and pick through the spoils because God is coming to take vengeance. We don't preach this message anymore. We don't preach the judgment of God. We don't preach the consequences of sin. We don't preach the, what it costs you to reject Jesus and go to a lost sinner's hell. We don't preach that because it makes people feel uncomfortable and it doesn't fit in with our modern world. It doesn't fit in with our modern church, but it's true. Revelation 19, if you keep your finger in Zephaniah 1, I go over into Revelation chapter 19. I want you to hear this. This is not poetry. This is not fantasy. This is the word of the Lord. This is true. This is what's going to happen. Revelation chapter 19 and verse 11. Remember, the Lord has prepared a great sacrifice. Revelation 19 and verse 11 says, These words, I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. He that sat upon him was faithful and true, and in righteousness he does judge, and he makes war. This is Jesus. His eyes were as the flame of fire, on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he's clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with with it it should smite the nations, and he'll rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, he's the King of kings, and he's the Lord of lords. And then at verse 17 it says, and I saw an angel standing in the sun. Look at this. An angel is standing in the sun and he cried with a loud voice saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God. Come and pick through the spoils because he's coming. Our eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He's coming in all his might and all his power. He's going to pour out his judgment upon the earth. And the church are being told it's time to be at ease. It's time to sleep. It's time to enjoy your life. Don't be concerned with the lost world going to a lost hell. Just live your life for yourself. That's what God wants for you. Christ is coming and coming soon. Back in the Zephaniah chapter 1 and verse 10. He speaks then. And this is the parallel of where we are. And I don't want to go into it too deep this morning, but he speaks of an economic 
collapse. And I want to tell you, friends, we are going to see an economic worldwide collapse. The merchant people are going to be cut down and they that bear the silver are cut off. We are about to witness this. We'll see this in our lifetime. We'll see an economic collapse in our lifetime. If the Lord tarries, we will see it, friends. America is plummeting as fast as it can to an economic collapse. And when she goes, everything's going with her. Zephaniah 1 and 12. And it shall come to pass at that time. Now I want you to listen carefully this morning. Because there's a lot of people think that this is going to have no effect on them. It's not going to come close. There's a lot of people think that God's away, way over there somewhere and he's not really interested or see my life. I can sort of sneak on and do my own wee thing. God doesn't really know what I'm doing. He's away up there and I'm away down here. But Zephaniah covers that. He says it will come to pass at that time. I want you to listen carefully. That I will search Jerusalem with candles. I want you to hear this again. It shall come to pass at that time that I will search Jerusalem with candles and punish the men that are settled on their lees that say in their heart, the Lord will not do good. Neither will he do evil. See that settling on the lees? It's, it's to do with the, the remnants of the wine and the crust that's there and it's left and it's undisturbed. It's never moved. It's never disturbed. We sit in church week in and week out, meeting in and meek out, and we are never moved. We're never convicted. We never deal with sin. We never lay all on the altar. We are thinking God doesn't know. God's away over there somewhere. He's not going to do good. Neither is he going to do. I've been living this way for years. Sure, it doesn't really matter. I can come to church. I can do this thing. I can sing. I can lift my hands. I can do all of the stuff. But then Zephaniah is coming and he's saying, listen, the Lord's going to come to Jerusalem with candles. And you know what he's going to do? Think about it, friends. He's going to go into every house, literally, and he's going to open every door, and he's going to go into every part of your heart and every part of your life, and he's going to search you out. May God the Holy Ghost come with candles and ball in a hinge and open every front door and every heart and every house and may the convicted power of God come. But may it come on the church too. The Lord's coming. He comes with a candle and He opens the door of that heart. And you're saying, I can live in the sin. My mom doesn't know. My dad doesn't know. My friend doesn't know. My wife doesn't know. My husband doesn't know. But I want to tell you, friends, the Holy Ghost is coming. And he comes with a candle. And he pulls the door open to that heart. And you've been sitting in church. And you've been playing games. And you've been resisting God. And you've been enjoying your sin. And you're saying, God's away over there. And he's not really interested in lowly me. I can live in my sin and do what I want to do. He'll never do good. Neither will he do evil. Zephaniah saying... You need to waken up because the Holy Ghost is coming with a candle. He's going to pull the door open of your heart and he's going to put the light of God into that heart. That's the convicting power of the Holy Ghost. Thank God for conviction. Old-fashioned conviction that brings a man and a woman to their knees in tears and cry out to God for mercy. 
You see, some are still saying, he's away over there. Some are still saying in their hearts, they can sense it in this meeting. He'll move on over this in a minute and then we're free. And hopefully the meeting will be over in a minute and then we're up the road. I want to tell you, friends, the Holy Ghost is searching. He's searching hearts. He's gathering a bride. He's convicting the world of sin and righteousness. And what? There's a judgment coming. Oh, I know a judgment's coming, but I'm just going to live. I just don't know. Live for Jesus. God said he's coming. Verse 14 says, The great day of the Lord is near. It is near. It, it hasteth greatly, even the voice of the day of the Lord. The mighty man shall cry there bitterly. Verse 15, the day is a day of wrath. It's a day of trouble. It's a day of distress. It's a day of wasteness. It's a day of desolation. It's a day of darkness. It's a day of gloominess. It's a day of clouds and it's a day of thick clouds. That's not what we're hearing. That's not what they're preaching. That's not what we're hearing from the pulpits. If the day of His wrath is upon us, we're here and everything is fine, all is well. Make sure your job, make sure you do all that you're supposed to do. Live in fear. I'm not living in fear, friends. I'm living according to God's Word. You do what you need to do. But we're not living in the context of what they say. We're living in the context of what He says. Oh, it's going to be all over. Once they get 100%, it's all over. I want to tell you, friends, when they get 100%, there's something else coming. And most are being conditioned to look and live their lives in the light of that. I just encourage you, do what you need to do. Do it right before the Lord. I've said it all along. But let me tell you, do not live your life in the context of stormment. Live your life in the light of God's Word. Walk in the victory. Know Jesus. Love the Lord with all your heart. Yes, you'll be called everything, but we'll be hated for the name of Jesus. God's looking soldiers. I will bring distress, verse 17, upon men. They shall walk like blind men because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood shall be poured out as dust and their flesh as the dung. Neither their silver Neither their gold will deliver them in the day of the Lord's wrath. Are you trusting in your silver? Are you trusting in your gold? Are you trusting in your bank account? I want to tell you, friends, none of that's going to keep you in this day. If it's empty, praise the Lord. If you're trusting in that, friends, you're going to be disappointed. But if you're trusted in the riches of heaven, that's Jesus. Thank God you have a joy unspeakable and full of glory. you imagine the weeping that's coming? Neither the silver nor the gold will deliver you in the day of the Lord's wrath. But the whole land shall be devoured by the fire of his jealousy. For he shall make even a spitty riddance of all of them that dwell in the land. I mean, that's a different message. Friends, that's a different message to what we're hearing. Would you not agree? We're hearing something completely different. This is not the only place that preaches a message like this. There are others, thank God for them. But in the majority, we're seeing a different message. And yet the judgment of God is coming. 
At the same time, the prophets in Israel are saying, all is well. See these Zephaniah boys and Ezekiel, Jeremiah, see all those guys? Those guys have lost it. They're, they're from the ark. They're legalists. They don't understand grace. They don't have any revelation of the new covenant and his blood. These guys are from a different world. They have no revelation of Jesus. They haven't got it yet. Friends, thank God I got it long ago. And there's the judgment declared. But I want you to listen to me. If that has sounded heavy, and it is heavy, but I want you to listen carefully to me. Because I want to give this, I believe the way the Lord give it to me. Then the plea comes. Then the plea comes. The judgment's coming, but now the plea comes. These prophets are impregnated with God's heart. And yes, they brought and declared strong words, but they were the truth. But then the Lord begins to plea with them. He goes into chapter 2 and he says, Seek the Lord, verse 3. Seek the Lord, all ye meek of the earth. Do you know what he's saying? He's saying, for those that humble themselves, for those that bow the knee, for those that just get before him, the throne of grace, he says, seek the Lord, all ye meek of the earth, which have wrought his judgment. Seek righteousness, seek meekness. It may be, do you know what you'll find? It may be you shall be hid in the day of the Lord's anger. There's a place for the believer to hide in the midst of the trouble and in the storm. There's somewhere we can run to. There's a refuge in the storm. There's a place that we can get up if we're willing to humble our hearts and say, God, I'm going to come to you. He says, I'll cover you. I'm going to keep you in the storm. I'll keep you in the tribulation. I'll keep you when it comes. But what do they do? He's pleading with them to seek the Lord. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon his name. His ear is not heavy that it cannot hear. His arm is not short that he cannot save. But turn to the Lord with all of your heart and you'll find him. There's a hiding place for the believer. For the remnant church. Glory to God. That's why we don't have to live in the fear of man. Because we have found a hiding place. And his name is Jesus. The psalmist says in Psalm 32 verse 6. For this shall every one that is godly pray unto thee. In a time when thou mayest be found, surely in the floods of great waters they shall come not, come, not come nigh unto him. Thou art my hiding place. Thou shalt preserve me from trouble. Thou shalt compass me about with the songs of deliverance. You see, there's a place for the church to hide. There's a place for us to be shut in. And in that place, he will compass us abide with the songs of deliverance. The psalmist goes on to say, but don't be like the horse. Don't be like the mule which have no understanding, whose mouth must be held in a bit and a bridle, lest they come near unto thee. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he that trusteth in the Lord, mercy shall compass him about. Then verse 11 says, Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, ye righteous, and shout for joy all ye that are upright in heart. There's a hiding place. And there in the hiding place, he puts his songs of deliverance around us and his mercy around us. He'll keep us in the day of trouble if we seek him. 
And the Lord begins to announce the judgment of God upon those that have persecuted and come against the church. Zephaniah 2 and 9. Therefore, as I live, saith the Lord, the God of Israel, surely Moab shall be as Sodom, the children of Ammon as Gomorrah, even the breeding of nettles and salt pits and perpetual desolation. The residue of my people shall spoil them, and the remnant of my people shall possess them. This shall they have for their pride. Pride. Is that all we hear, isn't it? Pride. world has absolutely gone mad about pride. It's everywhere. Sainsbury's, Tesco's. It's down at the hospital you're walking in. They've got the, they've got the zebra cross and everything. It's all their rainbow and all their pride. I'm going to tell you, friends, God forgive them. You know what the Bible says here? That the remnant of my people, friends, shall possess them. What's he talking about? He's talking about even in the midst of all of that, that the remnant of God are going to possess a world that hate Christ. Remember what he said, those that seek the Lord seek meekness. What do the meek do? Matthew 5 and 5, Jesus said, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. There is a remnant church but I want to paint the picture like Zephaniah of what that looks like. Because what people think it looks like isn't the case. The remnant church is found in Zephaniah chapter 3. I'm coming to a close. Zephaniah 3 and verse 12. This is what the Lord says. I will also leave in the midst of thee and afflicted and poor people, and they shall trust in the name of the Lord. The remnant of Israel shall not do iniquity. They don't speak lies. Neither shall a deceitful tongue be found in their mouth. For they shall feed and lie down, and none shall make them, what does it say? None shall make them afraid. We don't need to be afraid. Brothers and sisters, I want to say it again. You don't need to live in fear. Sing, O daughter of Zion, shout, O Israel, be glad and rejoice with all the heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord hath taken away thy judgments. He's cast out thy enemy. The king of Israel, even the Lord, is in the midst of thee. Thou shalt not see evil any more. In that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear thou not, and as I am, let not thine hands be slack. The Lord thy God is mighty in the midst of thee. He will save, he will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in his love, he will joy over thee with singing. I will gather them that are sorrowful for the solemn assembly who are off thee, to whom the reproach of it was a burden. Behold, at that time I will undo all that afflict thee, and I will save her that halteth, and gather her that was driven out. And I will get them praise and fame in every land wherewith they have been put to shame. At that time, saith the Lord, I will bring you again, even in the time that I gather you. For I will make you a name and a praise among all the people of the earth when I turn back your captivity before your eyes, saith the Lord. There's a remnant but you know that remnant, what people think it looks like? The Bible says 
There are poor people and there are afflicted people. But you know what they do? They put their trust in the name of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, the final words, the final words before judgment. Listen carefully. Judgment's coming. Judgment's coming. This land is going to be judged. The judgments of God and the great judgment. But this land is going to enter into severe judgment. We need to know what way to walk, pray, stand and live for Jesus. We need to be light and salt in a dark world. Don't get caught up with false teaching, doctrines of devils and seducing spirits. They're there particularly against the church to cause it to depart from the faith. The apostasy and the falling away has already begun. It's not up ahead. It's already here. May we keep our faces low to the ground and our knees on the floor. May we seek the Lord. But friends, if we do, we'll find a hiding place. But not only that, the remnant possess. There's a harvest. If we're faithful to him, he is faithful. I trust this morning that if you're here, you don't know the Lord as your Savior. Perhaps you're between two opinions. Perhaps you're a backslider. Can I tell you, I'll tell you this in love, and I'll tell you this with an honest heart. You need to get right with God, and you need to get right with God today. Time is running out, and running out fast. It's time to live for God. It's time to live for God. You've been born for such a time as this. I pray that God would arrest every one of us, and the Holy Ghost would search us out Every one of us from the preacher at the front, I needed as much as any of you that he'd search us out and the candle would be lit in our hearts that we'd live for Christ. We will not fear because we have found a hiding place. And his name's Jesus. Let's pray together this morning.